Hey, well, uh, can I start by bringing you inside of my refrigerator? I know you've always wanted to go inside of my refrigerator. I've been doing smoothies a lot lately, and so what that looks like is some frozen fruit, um, some non-fat Greek yogurt, uh, we'll put a little bit of juice or almond milk in there, and then something healthy that tastes gross, just a little bit of that and cover it up with all the other sweet sugary stuff and uh, blend it up together and, and have a smoothie. But what happens is every now and again I'll pull open my, my, my drawer for the freezer underneath and I'll open it up and right next to the frozen fruit is ice cream. Some Vienna mocha chunk or, you know, some mint chocolate chip or some coffee toffee bar. Ben and Jerry's, my personal favorite. And then that's when the, the battle begins. Anybody felt that battle before? Which one do I, do I go for the healthy stuff or do I go for the stuff that, well, it's not healthy, but I just know it's going to taste so much better. And in fact, just this week, I watched my kids fight that battle. We had some brownies up on the, the countertop for a few days, and I literally watched them, their, their little hands in that battle, which their hands are an extension of their heart and their mind. And so they get up there, and they, they know that we've told them, you can only do one. You know, you can only do one per day. And they get up there, and I'm watching them. They don't see that I see them through the doorway there, and they're going. They're just kind of wrestling in their heart, and uh, and uh, I, I know that, right? The struggle is real. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? The struggle, the struggle is real. And, 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 and yet, it's real too in, in more, more weighty matters. I imagine some of us have fought some more weighty matters like that this week. Maybe it's, it's your coworkers start to, to dialogue a bit about matters of, of faith. And you have the struggle of, okay, do I, do I cower or do I seize the opportunity to, to talk about my faith? Or, or maybe you're back at college and, and opportunities abound to compromise your previously held convictions. Or do I honor God and honor uh, my convictions? Or, or, or maybe you're, you're, you're scrolling through your, your, your phone and you stumble across some pornography. Do you click and, and continue to, to scroll through it? Or do you, as the Bible tells us, flee sexual immorality as God wants us to. Maybe with a friend or with your spouse or with, with your kids, you, you feel frustration rising and you have that little moment of battle in your soul. Do I, do I lash out or do I exercise gentleness and, and patience with them? Or maybe your, your mind just starts racing and starts to fill up with anxiety. Do you allow yourself to go into full-blown panic or do you, as the scriptures tell us, cast your cares on the Lord, knowing that he cares for you, and give it all to him? Have you fought battles like that this week, maybe even? I know I, know I have. It's that, that inner battle that's as real as the person sitting beside you. A battle that's waged, a war that's waged within your, your soul. And, and what I want to address this week is what I call the war within. And I think it's really timely for us as we finish out summer and look into a new season, look into the fall, and we ask, how am I going to live this year, this, this new season? So our scripture this morning is Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. If you want to get on over there, we have a few different ways that you can engage in the scripture. Of course, you have a paper Bible somewhere in your proximity, whether on your lap of your own or, or one of these that we provide. And if you don't have one at home, take that home and uh, it's, it's ours, uh, our, our gift to you. So we'd love for you to have that. We also have the, the glowing Bible behind me here and uh, we also have an app. 
And so if you want to download the church app, just type in Charles River Church into your app store and there's a Bible on there. And so Romans 7, 4 through 6. This is the last installment of our summer fruit series. And so goodbye summer. And that's tough. But hello, pumpkin spice latte, right? I mean, this is, this is important. And so uh, next week we're going to begin a new series. And get this, it's a new series on the book, The Song of Solomon. That's right, I'm going there. And so we're going to go to Song of Solomon, a book on gospel love, on intimacy, on sexuality. I think it's going to be really helpful for all of us. It's just a massive part of who we are as humans, yet a, a topic that most churches don't want to talk about. We're going to talk about it next week. I'll see you there. So today, War Within, specifically with regards to self-control. It's the last fruit in the list of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 through 23. We've been looking at these all summer, and it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and lastly, self-control. And so we've looked at one or two uh, through each week of the summer, and uh, today we look at self-control. Let's read Romans chapter 7, 4 through 6. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In this entire chapter, all of Romans chapter 7 is just, I mean, it's just loaded. But I want to focus in on these particular verses, these three verses. And again, uh, just since it's such a rich chapter, let me give you a little assignment. And I would encourage you to take time this week to read through Romans 7 slowly and work through it and digest. It's just just loaded. One thing you can't help but pick up on right here is the fruit language in this text. And, and another thing you can't help but pick on, more importantly even, is just this war within. Look at it. Verse 4. You have died to the law. That is the Old Testament law, the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, that, that old way of living. You, you've died to that, living in accordance to rules and, and, and laws. You've died to that. It says, through the body of Christ. That is, by trusting on the body of Christ that was hung upon the cross for you and for me that pays the penalty for our sin, for our inability to live in accordance with the law of God. He says, in order that, you've died to the law through the body of Christ, in order that we may what? We may bear fruit, it says, for God. So you've died to all of that so that you can bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now compare who we are now, verse 4, to who we were pre-Christ, verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. That is, sinful passions can, can be even further exposed by our uh, attempts to obey the law. Think, think pride. We, we attempt to obey the law. We attempt to be righteous. And, and even when we do maybe follow a law correctly, oftentimes it leads us to more sin, doesn't it? Because now we start to feel good and it's just kind of this this battle that feels like it, it can't be won. But, but, but it all only bore fruit for death, whether it's 
sinful passions aroused by the law or just our inability to, to, to keep the law. Verse 6, but now, he says, it's basically a, a new day because we are released from the law, having died to what held us captive, that we may serve in the new way, that is, way of the Spirit, not in the old way, that is, the way of the written code. So much in there. I mean, just so much in there. And again, study through the chapter this week. I believe it'll be helpful for you. But what I hope you really hear in these verses this morning is the freedom that we have as people who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We have this this freedom that we were held captive, verse 6, by the law. But we are freed by the work of Jesus to live in a new way by the, the Spirit. We've got a new way that we can, can live. We can live now empowered by the Holy Spirit, influenced by the Holy Spirit, enlivened by the Spirit of God within us that enables us to win that, that war that rages within us. Uh, this, this summer, I've been uh, periodically kind of studying through uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Anybody? Maybe you've seen a production of it, a play, or watched some kind of movie or, or something. And I've been thinking through it in preparation for today, really thinking about this closing fruit. After hearing uh, a sermon from Pastor uh, Dr. Tim Keller, who talked about just the connections here. And, and, and to some degree, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was inspired by Romans chapter 7. Stevenson was a, a, a devout Presbyterian, uh, and he was influenced by uh, Romans 7 in the writing of the short novel. The novel really speaks to that war within our hearts. Um, more, than, more than the plays out there, or maybe a production that you've seen out there, the novel is just really graphic and, and, and dark and, and horrifying. There's the Dr. Jekyll. He's a, he's a good man, but he grows increasingly unhappy with life. Maybe some of you are there right now. You, you felt that you just grow increasingly unhappy with life. But here's what he said. I'm going to quote. He said, Every day I drew steadily nearer to that truth that man is not truly one, but truly two. I saw the primitive duality of man. I saw the two natures contending in the field of my consciousness. If I could rightly, it could rightly be said uh, to be either, it was only because I was radically both. So here's what, what Dr. Jekyll was, was realizing. That every person is not really one, but actually two. And what was happening was this, this weariness in his, his soul because he, he was tired by that internal war that was being waged within him. The war between two selves. And he says, he says it this way, I like this. He says, I am an incongruous compound. I'm an incongruous con- compound. He, he realized that he had a moral self that, that sought to deny uh, self-centered living. But he also had this immoral self who wanted really deeply only to live for self. And so he concluded this. He concluded, no one can be happy because each of these selves keeps the other from really living. Unless, he says, and, I, and I'll quote again, if each could be but housed in separate identities, life would be relieved of all that is unbearable. So he believed that that, that struggle for morality, for doing what you want, on the other hand, he says that struggle is the challenge of life. He goes on and says this. He says, the unjust then might go his way, 
delivered from all the aspirations and remorse of his upright twin. And the just could walk on his upward path, doing good and no longer being exposed to the disgrace by the actions of his evil of other. And I don't know why, but this just really resonated in my heart this summer. And and so what does Dr. Jekyll do? If you know the story, what, what he does is he creates a potion. Right? And he, he creates this potion where if he took it, he could separate out the, the two natures, the immoral and, and the moral self. And, and what happened is when he becomes Mr. Hyde after taking the potion, that is Edward Hyde, he, he becomes completely self-consumed, doesn't he? Just completely self-consumed. Every single act, every single thought is just completely selfish. And when people met him, their, their hair would just stand on end and they were just completely disgusted by him. He was, he was horrifying. And, and Stevenson writes this about him. He says, Edward Hyde is the only unmixed person in the world. Complete selfishness unmixed with desires and attempts at morality and uh, virtue. And so what Mr. Hyde eventually discovers is, is that though he, he, he realized he had this, this good self and this evil self, he, he really discovers that, that he had no idea how evil he actually was within himself. And he saw that when Mr. Hyde was able to, to get out because of the potion, he was far more worse than he ever imagined. Here's what he said. He said, as soon as he took the potion, he said, I knew myself at first breath of this new life to be much more wicked, tenfold more wicked, sold a slave to original sin, and the thought braced and delighted me like wine. So spoiler alert, sorry, the story goes on and he learns that he cannot control Mr. Hyde. And in the end, Mr. Hyde wins. And the story is influenced by Romans chapter 7 here. Even at one point, borrowing from Paul's language, sold a slave to original sin. Paul says we were held captive to sin. We're we're slaves to sin. And, And so Dr. Jekyll, Robert Louis Stevenson concludes, my evil self is far worse than I ever thought. That there is no way to win the battle with Mr. Hyde. Now here's the question I think we all need to ask this morning, and and that is, is that the reality of Christianity? Is is that the reality? If so, many would say, hey, that makes sense for my reality. That that seems true for me. I try and I try and I I fight and I and I and I fight and there there's this war raging within and I just feel like I just I just keep losing it. Whether it's overeating, whether it's anxiety, whether it's lust and pornography, infidelity, whether it's gossip, whether it's a short temper, whether it's uh, substance abuse or, or social temptations, uh, gossip, whether it's, it's laziness or, or just self-centeredness. You just keep looking out for, for yourself and yourself alone. And maybe you say, that, that makes sense for my reality, that you just can't win this thing. I, I can't win this Thing. And, and if Stevenson's view of life, that really was his view of life, is, is true of Christianity, it makes sense. However, there's no hope there, is there? There's just, there's just no hope. It's, it's bleak, it's dark, and you can just never win. So is this true of Christianity? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> yes and, and no. I mean, 
This week, when you read through Romans chapter 7, you're going to see just how shocking it is, this war raging within the apostle stinking Paul, for crying out loud. I mean, he, he is the apostle Paul, and yet he will say things like, if you skip ahead, verse 14, sold under sin. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Skip ahead to verse 18. For I, I, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but cannot have the, I, I cannot have the ability to, to carry it out. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Verse 23. I, I see in my members another law waging war. There's a war in me. Verse 24. He says, wretched man am I Who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't tell you how many times I've read that passage and just said, yep, (laughs) yes, that feels like my heart. This war that's just raging within. I want to honor you, God. I just don't sometimes. And I even saw it coming, and yet I still jumped into the pit. I I, I struggle. I remember, especially in my, in my younger years, and just the intensity of just battling for, for holiness, longing to be holy, and just feeling completely incapable. I had this, this spot I would park on, on Route 202 out in Western Mass, and, and I would park there, and just remember overlooking the Quabbin Reservoir, and just so many times, just sitting there, and praying, and even crying at times, and just, God, I just want to honor you, but it's this battle raging in my heart. I just... I Feel like I can't win. And and yet when you read the Bible, you just see this over and over and over and over again. People who just can't seem to win. They just can't seem to live holy lives. I love the fact. Is that weird for me to love the fact that the Bible is full of a bunch of boneheads? I find it so comforting. (laughs) Is that bad? When you look at people and you say, okay, I'm not crazy. Right? Sometimes that feels that feels good. I think God puts these stories in here to show us you're not crazy. You're not the only one. It's it's the, the nature that, that is within you, the, the, the sin nature, the, the, the flesh. Yes, I've made you new if you're a believer, and, and, and the day is coming where you will fight this battle no more. But you will fight the battle. So is that it? We just close out the sermon. You stink, you're, you're going to lose. It's in the Bible, it's in literature, and it's in literature because it's in human experience, and so just know this, be comforted, you stink. Let's pray, you're dismissed. Right? Should, we just, should we just do, is that it? I, th- I think a lot of times we, we leave it there. Like this is theology, take it, you stink. Go home. But here's what we need to understand. Every single one of us, every single human on the planet will fight a war within throughout all of life. Every single one of us. But there are different wars that we fight. There's World War I and there's World War II. There's Inner World War I and there's Inner War II. And Inner War I is the war you fight before you become a Christian. And Inner War II is the fight that you fight after you become a Christian. War one is before you've trusted in Jesus, and war two is after you've trusted in Jesus. And war one, catch this, is a war that you cannot win. 
And that's the conclusion of Robert Louis Stevenson. He nailed it. It's exhausting. It's impossible. It's so discouraging. You cannot win that war. However, when you give your life to Jesus and you place faith and trust in him and you say, I don't want to fight this thing. I want you to fight it. Now you're in a war that you cannot lose. War one, you cannot win. War two, you cannot lose. But here's the thing. It's not when you become a Christian, now the fight is over. I think here's where many people miss it. They assume, okay, I've trusted in Jesus, and now the battle is over. It's no more. It's good. Um, He fought the battle, and that's true, but now it's it's over. It's finished, right? We're just saying it. I mean, yeah, not exactly. It's over in terms of we know the end of the story. But what you're going to find is that in some regards, it's actually a harder fight now. It's now it's a harder fight because before Christ, you could easily just give up. You could just say, I don't care anymore. I don't want to try to honor God. I don't want to try to please people. I don't want to try to, to be civically minded or whatever it is that you do to pursue morality. And you can eventually just give up and say, I'm just going to live for self. But with Christ, you find that you don't want to. And that's what I was experiencing uh, on Route 201 or 202, whatever route it was in Western Mass. Is that, God, I want to fight. I just feel, feel weak. I was fighting war number two. I want to honor Christ. I want to live selflessly and, and honor the people that you put in my life for a reason. I want to be a good example to people, God, that you put in my life. And so what happens is the warring is not over. It's different but it's not over. It's a different war. And that war is full of all kinds of little battles, some that you may lose. And you've experienced that along the way. But ultimately, you will win the war because Jesus has been victorious on your behalf over Satan's sin and death. And it is so crucial that in this moment, this morning, we distinguish between the two wars. As you study through Romans chapter 7, you'll see both. Verses 7 through 13 is is past tense. Paul is saying, I used to fight this battle. And then verses 13 through 25 is, is present tense. He says, I do, I do not, I currently fight this battle. You see the difference there? Very important. 7 through 13 is a picture of the war within that you cannot win. This inner war that's exhausting. I mean, if you've been there, religiosity is exhausting. Trying to keep up with appearances, make people think that you're better than you know deep in your heart that you really are. And trying to please people who, who you know want you to act a certain way and live a certain way. It's just, it's just exhausting. And even when you win... A battle every now and again, because even losers win sometimes, right? Even when Yankees, when you, when you, I'm just, sorry, I have to throw the jab in every now Even when you, you win a battle, you win a battle, but oftentimes, as I said before, it leads into sin and, and pride and self-sufficiency, more sin. So one step forward, two steps back. That's 7 through 13, but 14 through 25 is a new war, the war within. You cannot lose we've got to distinguish between the two so my daughter has this really amazing imagination and yet at the same time she's incredibly scatterbrained and so you put those two together and it's it's wild and so sometimes she'll invite me into her worlds and uh and so I try to enter in and she'll say things like okay dad I'm Barbie you're Ken Barbie is the queen Ken is the the king. And I say, okay, I got it. And I start to play along. Hi, Barbie. No, Dad, I told you you're, you're the 
she's not Barbie, she's the queen, and, and you're the king. Okay, okay, got that. And then, hi, hi, queen, how's it going? How, how's your kingdom? And no, dad, you're not the queen anymore. Now you're, you're, you're Elsa, and, and, and I'm Anna, and you're Olaf, or whatever it is. And then, then next thing you know, it transitions into, now it's a Barbie pool party. Okay, got that. And the next thing, it's no, we're no longer uh, Olaf and Elsa, or, or it's no longer a pool party. It's no longer a king. Now, now suddenly it's, it's, you know, the gymnast from the Olympics. That's who we are as Barbie. And we're just constantly changing. And so sometimes I just have to stop and say, okay, what are we doing here right now? Like, wh- which one are we? You know? And then you get her with Kevin's daughter, and it's just crazy because they just, it's all the, all the time. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you, honestly, this morning, I want you to pause. And I really want you to ask the question, what are we doing here? Like, what am, what am I doing here? Like, honestly, what war am I fighting right now? Because I cannot cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you to distinguish between which war you are fighting. Is it a war for morality? Which you cannot win. Or is it a war for I have right standing with God and now I want to honor Him and I struggle sometimes but I know ultimately I cannot lose. We have to distinguish between the two. We have to. The question is, have you been freed up from living the old way and brought into living the new way? Freed up from being bound to the law and free to living as he opened up with by the the Spirit. And how do we get there? See, verses 4 through 13 show war 1. 13 through 25, I told you, show war 2, but... Verses 4 through 6 there show how to stop fighting feudal war one and get into war two. So how does it say to do it? If you look back, it says, through the body of Christ. Here's how, here's how we transition. We do so through the body of Christ so that we can bear fruit for Christ. So that we can serve in the new way, in the spirit, not in the old way. So, how do, we, how do we get there? It's just through the body of Christ. Through trusting in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And it's not just, yes, I you know, wear a cross on my neck or I grew up in the church. Listen, a shirt doesn't, I can put a Patriots jersey on, I could buy a real nice one, but I'm not a Patriot player. You put a cross on, doesn't make you a Christian. Being born a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. You can't carpool to heaven. You have to make that decision for yourself. Make that transition. Do I trust? Do I place faith? That is total dependence on what Jesus has done for me such that I'm throwing my hands up. I'm saying, I don't want to fight this alone any longer. Fill me with your spirit. Enliven me with your spirit. So now that I can fight a war of I want to honor you, not a war I'm trying to earn your favor and to make you pleased. See the difference? The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Like it's, it's a war you're going to lose, but if you call upon the name of the great rescuer, he comes in and he rescues you and he saves you. And now, it's not that it's over and it's easy. It's over in terms of it's as good as done, but we still fight out of a desire to want to honor 
him. Now, for those who fight war too, which I would invite all of you into if you're not there already, this is where the fruit of self-control comes into the scene. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to add a few questions to the foundational question that we established. The foundational question being, what war am I fighting? But I want to give you a couple more questions to add to that. The first question is, what war am I fighting? We all have to answer that this morning. The second question is, with regards to war two, what tactics am I using? What war am I fighting? Now, what, what tactics am I, am I using? A few weeks ago, me and my family were on vacation. We were watching uh, the Olympics on television, and particularly the marathons. And uh, my kids kept asking, hey, why are the runners running these marathons, though they're from different countries, why, why are they all wearing the same matching neon yellow shoes? They just couldn't get that. I mean, they, they shop at different stores. and why, why are they wearing the same shoes? Do they collaborate and talk like this is the shoe? I'm gonna, you're getting that? Okay, I'm getting that too. Why, why is that, Dad? And, and I told him, I said, apparently the shoes that they're wearing, it's the latest and greatest shoe on the market for distance running. And they all did their research and they found this is the latest and greatest. And so they're all using this particular shoe. Compare that to, to yesterday. I was reading this magazine, a running magazine, and, and it pointed out a photo of actress Claire Danes. You know her? And, and she, she's going on a run, and she's wearing Chuck Taylors, right? Uh, this is uh, Converse All-Stars. Now, I know they're awesome, and they will forever be awesome, those shoes. And uh, just a little hometown fact, they were invented in 1917 in Malden, Massachusetts. That's why downtown Boston, you'll see the Converse building. And, and for years, the, the Converse All-Star was the staple sneaker, whether it was for running or for basketball or for tennis or for pure fashion. But listen, today you're not going to win a marathon wearing Converse All-Stars. It's just not going to happen. Imagine if we fought modern wars today with equipment that was used from World War II or World War I. It just just doesn't work. It would be foolish, right? It would lead to even more death and even more loss. Now now here's the problem for, for many of us in War II, the war that we should be in is that we're fighting a New Testament war with Old Testament tactics. Sometimes we fight a New Testament war with Old Testament tactics, and you find that it doesn't work. Old Testament tactics is is good old-fashioned resolve. You look through the book of Judges, and just over and over and over and over and over, God just shows us this ugly cycle of resolve. We're going to honor you, God. And then they struggle and they mess up big time. And so God swoops in with his grace. And then they say, yes, now we're going to do it again. And they struggle. And it's just this good old-fashioned resolve. It just doesn't get people very far. That's the old tactic. That's the old way. That's the converse all-star for your marathon. But in the New Testament, God says, here's the new way. It's the way living by the, the Spirit. And you will be victorious in your battles with sin. That is, you'll be able to show self-control. See how Paul put that at the last of the list of the fruit of the Spirit? You have to do all these things, but self-control is is kind of the capstone of that. It's going to be the Spirit of God controlling you. Self-control. 
is the last of the fruit of the what? Spirit. Nobody said the fruit of Josh or the fruit of insert your name. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's why we've been very cautious all summer long as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, which I've known for years that I wanted to walk you through, but I was always a little bit scared of because I didn't want you to leave resolve to go exercise joy. Leave resolve to go exercise peace and go resolve to exercise patience. I call it the preacher's dilemma is every week I have to stand up here and say, here's God's standard and you can't do it. (laughs) But God says, if you live by my spirit, you can do it. But it's not go resolve. It's put your hands up and say, God, you do it through me. Do not fight New Testament war with Old Testament equipment. It's not going to work. And so at the start of this new year, we've, we've got to lace up the right shoes, the right equipment. And we've got to do so every morning before we go out on our run, let me just say. Before you go walk the walk and try to talk the talk, you've got to lace up the right shoes. That is, spend time with God in his word and scriptures and in, and in prayer draw near and get that intimacy with him display from the very first thing you do in the morning dependency on God that God I want to be with you I'm not going to go try to be a good student apart from you I'm not going to go try to be a good employee apart from you I'm not going to try to be a great parent apart from you whatever it is God I'm dependent on you I'm going to lace up these these shoes I got the new tactic and that is intimacy with God I've been reading through uh, the book of Hosea in my own personal time and and this is really interesting uh, piece in, in chapter 2 of Hosea where it just talks about, compares about how you could worship me like you're worshiping Baal or you could worship me like you're intended to worship me and that is with intimacy and closeness. You can just say, you're my God, I'm going to go live for you or you can know me and be close to me. That's how we're to fight this New Testament war is God, I'm drawing near to you. I'm dependent on you. I need you to enliven me so that I can go and display self-control in all these areas as I wrestle this war within. That sometimes I struggle because I live independent. But I'm telling you what, when I trace sin in my own life, usually, almost always, it's the times when I just go about my day not stopping and saying, God, I'm dependent on you, spending time with you, praying, seeking your face. Those are the times I tend to struggle. You look at the the New Testament church in the book of Acts, the great victories that we see displayed, you almost always see them pausing to pray and to seek a filling of God, the Holy Spirit, pray for boldness, and then we see great victory. And so for you, don't fight this new war with bad tactics. And then the last question we want to ask is what am I doing this for? First question is, what war am I fighting? The second one is, is what tactics am I using? But the, the third one, last one is, what am I doing this for? Like, why, why am I doing this? Like, if you're a soldier and you don't know what you're doing it for, if you don't believe in your country, you don't believe in the cause, there's not a whole lot of motivation to do it. We always have to keep asking ourselves, reminding ourselves, what am I doing this for? You look back to Romans 7, verse 4. In order that we might bear fruit for God. We're doing this for God. Listen, we're not, we're not even fighting for ourselves. 
I mean, I could, I could sit here and, and tell you, and I, it's true, that when you live for God, it's the best plan for you because God's will for you is the best plan for you. But when, you, when you're doing it for yourself, you're going to find that, that that doesn't really do much for you. But when you live for something bigger than yourself, for someone bigger than yourself, when you live for Him, when it looks easier to give in, to throw your hands up in the war for holiness, you're reminded, now I'm doing it for Him. And I'm doing it for His purposes too. See, remember, as we said all along, we are bearing fruit for God, but fruit is also meant to be picked. Not to be the apple tree in the apple orchard whose fruit falls on the ground and rots. You'll see that over the next few months when we pay to go pick apples. <laughs> You'll see rotten apples on the ground, but fruit was made to be picked so that other people can enjoy your fruit. And I'm telling you, other people are going to enjoy the fruit that you bear for God as well. So I'm doing this for God, but I'm also doing this for other people. You think back through the relationships in your life, just scroll through them and think about how your inability to exercise self-control could hurt them. Think about the friends that God's put in your life and if you struggle with exercising self-control and you fall in areas of holiness, how that could hinder those relationships. How you might be the only Christian that they know. And when you struggle and you fall and you fail, you just give up and you don't fight for holiness. How it hinders their closeness, their proximity to God. It doesn't mean that when you do fail, and you will, that you don't go to them and say, listen, I struggle too, and it's the grace of God. But if you give up in the fight, it hinders your relationship, their, their chance to have a relationship with God. Think about how your, your lack of self-control, your lack of fruit-bearing hinders your marriage. Man, it can mess up your marriage. The one I keep coming back to over the past few weeks is just my kids. Bearing fruit, why? For God and for God's purposes. God has called me to be a father who leads my little kids to grow up and to know him and to love him and the fear and the admonition of him. My inability to exercise self-control and to bear fruit for God and for his purposes hinders other people. Why am I doing this? You have opportunity to give in as you're fighting, and it'll be tomorrow, it'll be this afternoon, as you're daily fighting. Keep asking yourself, what, what am I doing this for? Oh, I'm doing it because I want to honor him, and I'm doing it for his purposes. He's put me on this earth for a mission, and there are people around me who maybe I'm the closest thing they see to God right now. And so I want to honor God, and I want to honor them by living for, for God. What am I doing this for? These three questions are really, really important. I want to leave you with those this morning. I want to leave you asking those questions. What war am I fighting? Are you fighting a war that you cannot win and it feels bleak? Or are you going to fight the war that God wants you to fight? He's ultimately won. He says, you can honor me because I've enlivened you with my spirit. You've got to ask that question. Am I going to live for God? Am I going to live for self? When I try to live for God, apart from God, it's a struggle. And the next question is, what tactic am I using? Am I just trying to do it with good old-fashioned resolve, mustering up 
just trying to honor him? Or am I going to do it totally dependent on him? And then lastly, why am I doing it? And I pray that every time we come together, you're reminded of why you're doing it. We do this every single week because we want to fix our eyes on him. We want to recalibrate our lives to him. We want to be reminded of what we're all about and then sent out every single week. That's why commitment to the local church is so important. We want to recalibrate our hearts. What am I doing this for? I pray that this morning you'll be reminded of what you're doing it for. And so would you guys take a moment of just responding to the scriptures by, by closing your eyes, if you would. The Bible doesn't make it real spiritual, closing your eyes. But closing your eyes is just a good chance for us to get distractions out of the way. And while your eyes are closed and you're thinking on your own life, I, I just want to invite you to evaluate a little bit. Where am I at? What war am I fighting? Have I trusted in Jesus as my victory? I want to invite you to, to ask yourself the, the question, what, what tactics am I using? Am I fighting this fight in a way that, that is contrary to the, the gospel, the message of Jesus? And then in just a second, we're going we're gonna to remind you what you're doing it for by partaking of communion. You're doing it for God. You want to honor the one who died upon the cross for you. That we might bear fruit for him. Because we can fight war number two and be moved into the greater war because the body of Christ hung on the cross. And we're going to partake of communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you've called it. And so, Father, thank you for the, just the reality of, of the freedom that we have to fight not in the old way, but to fight in the new way, the Spirit. And so, God, I ask that, that you would just move in the hearts of my friends as we respond over the next few minutes together in song and respond in prayer and we respond in partaking of the Lord's table. That you would move in their hearts. ask the questions that are most important this morning. God, we want to be a people who are totally dependent upon you. We want to be a people who live by the Spirit, bear fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray that you would transition our hearts increasingly to a people of love and of joy and of peace, patience, kindness would be gentle self-controlled for you for the people around us to live the life that you've intended us to live a life empowered by your spirit so help us to respond God we love you Jesus name amen